let's go ahead and return to our seats and open in our scriptures to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, chapter 19, excuse me. And in just a moment, I'm going to read the first nine verses of Exodus. In 1975, a a notable year on many uh, accounts, uh, Walt Disney World in Florida, I think that's what it's called, it might be called Disneyland, opened an amusement ride called Space Mountain. How many of you have heard of Space Mountain? How many of you have read Space, ridden Space Mountain? Good. Well, in 1975, when that announcement was made, uh, Space Mountain, the amusement ride, roller coaster ride there at Disney, uh, was a big deal, perhaps bigger than it is today. Uh, Parks like Six Flags, uh, particularly the one in Ohio, have built roller coasters that dwarf what Space Mountain is able to offer. But in 1975, um, I was in sixth grade, And my parents had indicated uh, to myself and to my sisters that in the near future, a date yet to be announced, we would be taking a trip to Florida to see family and go to Disney. Is it Disneyland in Florida? Is that the correct? Disney World. Thank you. And yes, ride Space Mountain. They didn't tell us the day. They wanted it to be a surprise. Uh, my parents love to surprise their kids that way. And so one Sunday morning, literally, it, it, it shook out this way. Um, uh, we were, thought we were going to be getting ready to go to church. And my mother came into my bedroom and also woke the, my sisters and said, pack your bags. Uh, we are flying to Florida later today. And of course, that meant we were going to be riding Space Mountain. Uh, It was amazing. I think we rode Space Mountain. We were there for five days. I think we rode Space Mountain probably over 20 times in the course of that five days, even though the ride is the same every time you get on the Space Mountain, a high-moving, fast, in-the-dark, rocket ship-like experience through a white mountain there in Disney World. It's exhilarating. Well, we come to another mountain in Scripture today. Um, And for the Israelites on their journey from Egypt through the wilderness to this mountain, Mount Sinai, their expectations and anticipation of what is going to take place on this mountain must be at a fever pitch. So this morning we're going to look at chapter 19. We're going to look at only the first nine verses to introduce this passage, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Um, And then next week we'll conclude the chapter uh, where God himself will descend from the clouds, the Lord God, um, onto the mountain uh, to speak directly with his people. This is God's word, Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1. 
May God give us his grace to listen carefully to it. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words to the people, to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to lead us as we pray for the situation in Ukraine as well. Father, you are a God of mercy, and you are a God who is everywhere present, omnipresent. And so as we come before you in your word this morning, we lift up the people of Ukraine, and we pray, God, for your mercy and protection uh, and intervention into this situation. Lord, we, there are believers in that country. You more were aware of that than I could possibly be. The, the ones I have read about, the missionaries I have read about, Lord, they are, they are looking to you. And so do we as well. And we pray, Lord, you would bring an end to these hostilities. You would do it quickly and justly. And Lord, you would have mercy on the people of Ukraine and deliver them from their affliction. May the gospel, Lord, be somehow gloriously, brightly displayed, even in the midst, Lord, of this catastrophic situation in their lives. And may your people, Lord, be a means of comfort and supply to this needy people at this time. Meet us now as we look to you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The people of God have arrived at the mountain of God. And as we look at the passage this morning, we see that their arrival at 
Mount Sinai not only is marked by God speaking to Moses words that are, as we will discover, really unprecedented in all of Scripture, but the Lord is preparing his people, the people who have gathered at Mount Sinai, for what is about to take place. God is about to invite Israel to covenant with him, to solemnly and with an oath publicly declare their allegiance to him as their king, as their Lord, as their God. And in order to prepare them for that solemn covenant-making moment, he does two things here in our passage. He first reminds them of his great love for them. And he secondly prepares them through Moses for whom they are about to meet. I'll say that again. He first reminds them, as we'll look at, of his great love for them. And then secondly, and we'll look at this even in more detail next week, he prepares them for the one they are about to meet. So this chapter, as a a brother helped me see early yesterday morning, really from beginning to end is a chapter of contrasts. God's love for his people and God's holiness, which is always dangerous even amongst his people. God's faithfulness to his promises and his people's unfaithfulness and their inability even to remain true. And ultimately, God's mercy to protect his people and to provide for his people in a way that allows them to draw near to him without in any way compromising who he is and what he is to them. So let's look at the passage together. And I think you'll see with me that it is one of the most tender moments in all of Exodus, if not the entire Old Testament, which you wouldn't expect in light of how at the end of the chapter Israel responds. Promises kept. Verses 1 and 2, Israel's safe arrival at Sinai reveals God is faithful to his promises. On the third new moon, after the people had gone out of the land of Egypt, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So according to the scholars, Israel has made their way from Rephidim through the wilderness of Sinai to Sinai itself and encamped on a flat plain that stretches out like an amphitheater before this mountain. It has been about seven weeks since the Exodus. Seven weeks. 
And Moses is at pains to tell us in verse 1 and 2 that they have arrived at this destination. And I believe he does that because in telling us that, He is signaling that God has fulfilled his promise to Moses that was made at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. When the Lord God said to Moses, I will be with you. This shall be a sign for you that I am with you and that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here they are at this mountain And this moment and this destination is a fulfillment of God's promise to Moses at the outset of the Exodus. This mountain that was familiar to Moses, this is the mountain where God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, the bush that was not consumed. This is the mountain that that Moses encountered God Yahweh, the Lord God, and where Moses was commissioned as the prophet of God and the shepherd of God's people. And in verse 3, we listen to and overhear a speech that God wants Moses to make to God's people, a speech that scholars point out contains some of the most tender words in the Old Testament. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, and particularly the book of Exodus, that may surprise you because the most familiar chapter in the book of Exodus is the next chapter. The next chapter contains the Ten Commandments. If you were asked children in children's ministry, both the children's ministry I teach in and the children's ministry I was a part of in the church that I grew up in, the most familiar words in the Old Testament are the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. So it comes as a shock to me and I think surprising to you that the most tender words found in the Old Testament, some say are found in Exodus 19, but they are often overlooked because they're overshadowed by what we read in Exodus chapter 20. Notice that the words we're about to read rest on the fulfillment of God's promises to both Moses and Israel to deliver them not only out of Egypt, but to the mountain. And so what we are about to read is an expression of God's faithfulness to them and not necessarily their faithfulness to the Lord. Which makes then the tone, the tone of Exodus 19 so different at the outset from what we read at the end of the chapter when God comes down. And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's look at the words that Moses is to say, beginning in verse 3. This is the speech Moses is to give. Notice it's the Lord, Yahweh. His name is capitalized. 
addressing both the house of Jacob and speaking to the people of Israel. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It's as if Israel is asking the question that your children may ask you when you're taking them on a long trip or even a short trip during your errands. Where are we going? When will we get there? And why are we here? Where are we? Why? And for what purpose has God brought this people to his mountain? Well, he addresses the Israelites through Moses by reminding them of all that he has done for them, verse 4, in bringing them out of Egypt. He says to them, I brought you out. And I lifted you up on eagles' wings. And I brought you to myself. Three instances of the Lord God's actions, which are actually a summary of, of all that we've read in Exodus 4 to the stage. Just, just a few verses but the repetition of the word you in verse 4 and I, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. It's very personal. It's remarkable in content. It's, it's tender in its tone. He reminds them that they have seen what he did to the Egyptians. There's going to be a lot of seeing in this chapter. God's going to make himself visible to them so that they see him, the invisible God, for the first time. But they've already seen the humiliation of Pharaoh and the destruction of his armies. And Israel is an eyewitness to that. But they've also seen, secondly, how the Lord God bore them on eagles' wings. You have seen how I bore you on eagles' wings. Another reminder of God not only delivering them out of Egypt, but sustaining them and bringing them safely through the wilderness. Uh, a, a vivid image and depiction of God's care for them. I'm sure might get inspired Steve Miller in 1976 to write the classic song, Fly Like an Eagle, which is played at every Eagles game. I have no idea if that inspired. But I do know this. When J.R.R. Tolkien wrote the trilogy of the rings, who was sent to rescue Sam and Mordor from Mount Doom as it exploded following the destruction of the rings? Eagles. And who rescued Gandalf from the grips of Saruman from the tower? He was an eagles. 
Tolkien was a reader of scripture. It's a vivid image, isn't it, of a, of a, of a, of fierce and loyal care rescuing someone who cannot save themselves. Regardless of your opinion of the Philadelphia football team. The Israelites had literally been carried out of Egypt by Yahweh himself. But lest we think that that's the end of the story, it says, verse 4, that they were brought to himself. They were brought close to him. There is the goal. This is the purpose of their deliverance from Egypt, that God would bring Israel close to him. The journey isn't simply about a new location. The journey that they have been on is about their relationship with the Lord. He led them to the mountain where he himself will speak to them. They will hear with their own ears his voice and he will reveal himself to them. The invisible God will make himself visible to them. Unlike any other people on the earth, any other nation on the earth, he will. See, the exodus is more than simply delivering people out of something. Yahweh brought them out. The Lord God lifted them up in order to draw them close to himself. I think as we consider the promises God has kept in our lives and the journey that we are on, both individually and as a church, and as we think about those we love and care for, God has been faithful in his promises to you and me, too. And It's those promises that our faithful God has kept that have kept us safe on the journey. Dan, when you read that scripture from Philippians, I I sat here thinking, Paul's writing that from prison and he is aware of a most certain fate that awaits him. He has nothing. And yet to his audience, he's saying, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He is convinced that on the other side of this life, through death, his God will supply all that he needs, even as the Philippians remain behind, and God will supply. That's someone who has become convinced that God's promises through Christ to him will be kept even as he journeys beyond the veil. Friends, what promises has God been faithful to keep to you? Here's why he's keeping them. He's keeping them not only to bring you out, not only to lift me up, but he's keeping them to draw you close to himself. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that tender of the Lord? That's what it is like to be carried on eagle's wings. Then we look at verses 3, 4, and 5 and following, and we see now the Lord addressing Israel in terms of their calling. Their calling is his people. 
and he introduces this word covenant in verse 5. Let's read it again. Verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. The Lord, through Moses, informs Israel that the reason he has brought them to Mount Sinai is to invite them into the privilege and joy and challenge of serving and obeying the Lord wholeheartedly. In other words, to formalize their commitment to Yahweh, the Lord, by entering into a covenant with him. Covenant is just a big word, meaning a, a, a bond, a solemn bond between two parties ratified by, you know, that was a customary practice during the time of the people of Israel. And God's covenants are prominent in every period of salvation, and they often reveal the saving plan of God for establishing relationship with him and for fulfilling his purposes in our world and to the nations, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But you notice this invitation to covenant with him in verse 5 includes a call to obedience. Did you say that? If you will indeed obey my voice. You see that? And keep my covenant. So he invites them to commit themselves to him And then he says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. But it's found in verse 5. And I think often in my life, I forget verse 4. God has already saved them. When did God save Israel? Not in their deliverance out of Egypt. God saved them through the Passover, through the sacrifice of the lamb, and through the blood of the Passover lamb that was spread over the doorposts and lentils and whatever those other things are. When the angel of death came, the Lord passed over them, delivering them from death, while at the same time executing his righteous judgment, not only on Egypt's firstborn, but on their idols. They were saved. That's why one of the first commands given in Exodus is don't forget the Passover. Don't forget the Passover lamb. Now, without belaboring that, my simple point is this. Even in the Old Testament, it's clear what I often confuse. Salvation is not by works. Say amen. 
Salvation is never by works. In the Christian faith, Old Testament to New, they were already saved when God invites them to covenant with him. He has already redeemed them. The Passover lamb and its blood has already been spilled. The angel of death has already passed away. He has brought them to himself on eagles' wings. They are his already. I believed that at my conversion, but as a zealous young Christian on a college campus in Lewisburg, I quickly got it backwards. I started reading my Bible in order to earn God's favor. I started going to discipleship groups and pursue accountability with others and grow in sanctification in order to earn God's approval. I started adding so many to-dos that I quickly forgot that Christ has accomplished something that solidly establishes my salvation and from that place of forgiveness and righteous justification, then I can begin to obey, albeit weakly, the commands. And when you confuse the order, and when you forget the order, and when you substitute your works for what God has done, you were just as confused as I was. And so Moses, the mediator, is Ultimately, Christ through Moses is reminding us that the Exodus took place before what takes place on Sinai. Mount Sinai and the covenant God makes with Israel follows the Exodus. And so it is God who graciously has already saved them, who now invites them to obey his voice and gladly keep his covenant in order to please him. I remember sitting with my college pastor one Friday afternoon, and he didn't pull out Exodus 19, though he could have, and preached the gospel, pointing it to Christ. He pulled out Ephesians 2. I was, so, I was bent like a pretzel, condemned, discouraged, and wondering why I ever became a Christian in the first place. He just read those precious words. Bauer, it is for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not by works. This not of yourself. For it is the gift of God unto salvation. Now when we get that and we keep that, it should fuel passionate affection for God. Amen? Amen? Keeping covenant with God is the result and the fruit of being fueled by the gracious saving work of God. Amen? Amen. Someone who is enjoying the benefits of this covenant and gladly hearing his voice and keeping it are those who remember that it was God who brought us out and lifted us up and brought us close. Amen? And so they can then receive by faith these precious titles. Therefore, you are my treasured possession. 
among all the peoples. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation amongst all the earth. Whatever that means, however they relate to each other, this much it must mean. Israel, you're going to have to serve somebody. I invite you to serve me who graciously delivered you and has brought you close not only to keep my commandments but tell the world salvation is by faith alone through grace alone for the glory of the Lord alone. The good news even in Exodus is that Yahweh's faithfulness, mercy, and love for the Israelites was there before his call to covenant with him. Let's conclude this. In our day-to-day relationship with God, what do I tend to live more aware of? My status as a dearly beloved son or daughter through faith in Christ or my obedience to his commandments. Both are important, but what am I more aware of? How does keeping the order of my salvation correct help fuel my faith and even deepen my desire to obey his commands, the harder commands, the ones that that tend to be neglected by by remembering that he brought me out. He lifted me up. He brought me close through faith in Christ, not by works that I have done. Therefore, Lord, help me to obey your voice and keep my covenant with you today. For the weary Christian, this is extraordinarily good news. I fumbled for what to say and do this past week in Pennsylvania, and there it was right in front of me the whole week, and I missed it. Sorry, guys. The Lord says he will bear the weary on wings because he loves them. In other words, I mean, I'm an Eagles fan. I should have gotten this. His wings still work. His wings still work. His wings still work for the weary. His eagle's wings, brothers and sisters, is still working for the weary. He is a faithful mediator. And because his wings are still working, He's carrying you. Isaiah says in Isaiah 46, verse 4, we discovered this at our last semester, that he will carry us even into our old age. His wings are still working and carrying you when we don't have the strength to carry on. Amen? So if I am more aware of God's silence than I am the voice of God due to my weariness or fatigue or discouragement, I'm here to remind you today, I'm here to remind myself today from Scripture 
that even in our darkness, we can affirm the strong, wise, faithful hand of God to hold us even when we have no strength to hold him because he led the Israelites on eagle's wings and brought them to myself. Let us never tire of retelling and remembering this story. But if we are a Christian, we are aware of an even greater deliverance. Amen? There's coming a day which we see now by faith where those wings will need to carry us where we cannot carry ourselves. We have as Christians witnessed and experienced a greater redemption than even Israel experienced because one greater than Moses would one day come to die in our place for my sins and yours so that we might be redeemed and liberated and set free from the tyranny and penalty and power of sin. And one day we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Amen? His name is Jesus. And through faith in him, we can have even a greater confidence than the Israelites had in God's promises. Israel knew the miraculous. We have seen Christ through faith in the gospel. And so as I conclude here, there is a deliverance even more miraculous from what we read in Old Testament scripture. In Christ, an even greater exodus has occurred. In Christ, an experience is given to us even greater than the experience of the Exodus generation as she walked between walls of water and gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. In Christ, we have seen our sins forgiven and through the resurrection of Christ we have been declared righteous once and for all and through the indwelling of his spirit we have the assurance father you will carry me even unto my old age what have you seen God do what have I seen God do Exodus 19 first reveals Yahweh's faithfulness mercy and love for the Israelites, even prior to his call to covenant with him. We have seen the Lord keep his promises to us through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as you prepare us for what is to follow in these pages, we're thankful for the reminder, Lord, that you are faithful to your promises and that the love you showed for Israel and the love you show for us through Christ. Lord, it's a, it's a personal love. You love us. You love me in Christ. It's a tender love. You bear us up on eagle's wings in order to bring us close Lord, it is an eternal love. Because in Christ, Lord, we have received not only the assurance of our forgiveness, but the promise of eternal life. 
And therefore, Lord, this morning, it leads us to worship you again. Help us to take this story into our week and remind ourselves and remind those around us, Lord, that you are a faithful God to every promise through Christ. And therefore, Lord, we can be confident in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.